We're looking this evening at the believer's access to God and the fact that the believer is a priest and part of this holy priesthood of which Peter speaks. And uh, we mentioned last time in the letter that Peter has begun to talk about these incredible privileges that belong to those who are in Christ, those who are true believers, the Lord's people. And maybe if we're believers, sometimes we see our Christian lives as being made up mostly of duty rather than privilege. And so it's helpful for this wonderful passage to remind us that we are immeasurably blessed and have great privileges which come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And whilst we have those duties to battle against the flesh and to pursue holiness, we must not miss that we are already granted these great, great privileges in Jesus Christ. And uh, Peter emphasizes this, and we saw this last time. He says, look, these spiritual privileges, they come to us in Christ alone. It says that in verse 4. And uh, we looked at that and saw how it's by God's grace that we came to Christ for salvation. And every blessing comes to us through him. That coming to Christ and remaining in Christ. Abiding, staying, resting, remaining in him. And as the believer comes to Christ, Peter tells us they have come to a living stone. And uh, we explained how this was a very rich messianic term. And uh, this stone is a living one, and that speaks of Christ's resurrection and the cornerstone in the kingdom that the Lord is building. And so Peter is speaking of Jesus risen from the dead, alive forevermore, the death conqueror. He is alive and he has living relationships with living people. Christ is life. He gives life. He gives his own life to all who believe. And that is our state this night. If we are in Christ, we dwell in him. We are united to him. And we saw that the tragedy is that this living stone was rejected by many. This living stone, the perfect cornerstone in God's building of his eternal house, the one who alone gives life, was rejected by men. And men in their blindness and arrogance and ignorance came to the conclusion that Jesus was not adequate for them. That he didn't meet their plans and their calculations and so they rejected him and they crucified him. But then Peter says the Lord Jesus, even though he is rejected by men, chosen and precious, chosen and elect in God's sight, God's appointed deliverer, the only saviour, Precious above all to God, unique. And God says he is perfect for the cornerstone. And it's only in him that we have this life. And that is really the, the first privilege that Peter has been speaking of. This union with Christ in verse 5. We have eternal life. The life of Christ exists in us if we are believers. It's not just that we worship Christ. It's not just that we obey him and love him and honor him and pray to him. We are united to him. And that is a staggering thought. We are in union with him. Christ lives through you. He loves through you. He speaks through you. He serves through you. His life in you is eternal. You'll never lose it. And as living stones, we are being built up in a spiritual house. God is building a spiritual house. The cornerstone is Christ. 
And we are being integrated with each other, with the life of Christ united to him and to our brethren. And God dwells in the hearts of his redeemed people. He dwells in the hearts of those who love him, both as individuals and then together. And so believers are at the very heart, the very center of what God is doing in the world. And the temple of the, the new covenant is a spiritual temple made up of those that God is calling from all nations to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful picture. God is accomplishing his purposes. And that leads us on then to this next privilege, this access to God as priests. And we see that again as Peter speaks about a holy priesthood. He actually mentions it again in verse 9, a royal priesthood. Now, friends, do you know that the vast majority in the world around us do not know God and do not have access to him? The Bible says that the unbeliever, the one outside of Christ, is far off. They don't know him. But we as believers, because of the grace of God, have full admission into the presence of the Lord. And Peter explains that we're not just God's building and activity in the world, but we serve as his priests before the world. That's why he goes on to say that wonderful thing, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. You know, you remember to whom Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, these exiles, these ones that have been dispersed throughout the, the empire, as it were, and, and scattered. Those who are seen as outsiders. They are actually, Peter says, the ultimate insiders because they are precious to God and they have access to God unlike those outside of Christ. Now, as we come to consider this whole matter of being priests, the priesthood, in the Old Testament there was a sense in which Jews could come into the presence of God spiritually but not physically. You know, when God came down on Mount Sinai, the people could not come near the mountain or touch it, the holy place of his presence. Or the high priest who could only enter the Holy of Holies once a year to be admitted into the presence of God. Yet even that was saved only for the priesthood. And there was certainly no way that an uncircumcised Gentile could ever enter the temple. They were kept away on the pain of death. But in the new covenant, what was reserved for the old priesthood is now the privilege of every believer. Even Gentiles. And that's why Peter says in verse 5, who are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter has said, look, as believers, you are the spiritual house where God dwells. You are the living temple. And now he says, we're also priests functioning in that spiritual temple, the priesthood of all believers. Now, not like the Old Testament where there was no general admittance, only some at certain ceremonial times. You know, if you go through the Old Testament, those who tried to step into a role without being a true priest faced terrible judgment. You know, death. And all of the, the preparations and the ceremonies and the types and the shadows, they bore witness that God is holy. And those who approach need to be cleansed. There needs to be atonement. 
And of course, it was all pointing to the coming one, the Lord Jesus. Only God could provide the true and spiritual sacrifice. One who had clean hands and a, a pure heart who could ascend the hill of the Lord. And Jesus Christ came. And it's in him alone that we are able to come near, that we are brought near, that we are given these privileges of access to God. And so it's in this new covenant that believers are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, separated to the Lord, with access into his presence. You know, we might think, well, you know, that's wonderful. It's lovely to be holy priests, and we might use the term, but what does it mean? What actually is it talking about? How are we to understand it? Well, hopefully tonight we can learn from the Old Testament priesthood to show us some of the spiritual blessings that we have as believers. Now, the role of the priest in the Old Testament was to offer up acceptable sacrifices to God. And that is the language that Peter uses. And Peter uses all of the imagery of the Old Testament priesthood to picture and to describe the spiritual reality of our position in Christ. To help us understand the depth and the richness of what is ours in him. Now in looking at this passage and studying, there are many comments made, but one commentator points to three Old Testament passages, and I want to direct you to them, and we'll do that together so that we can see these things. So there is Exodus 28 to 29, where God identifies the office of priest and explains its standards and what it is to do. And then in Leviticus 8 to 9, which explains how priests are inaugurated into the office, and we read part of that passage. And then Malachi chapter 2, which contrasts the legitimate God-ordained priesthood with the false that was going on at the time. And in each of those passages, you see certain things about the Old Testament priesthood which picture the nature of the spiritual blessing for the believer in Christ. So let's look at some of these things together. So if you will, turn to Exodus chapter 28, right at the beginning. And in verse 1, we find the first blessing is that we are chosen by God. We are chosen by God. If you look at Exodus chapter 28 and verse 1, God is laying down the details of the priesthood and he identifies those who are to be brought to him, those who are appointed by him to be priests. And it's Aaron and his sons. Now, Mark, straight away, nobody volunteered for the priesthood. Nobody said, well, I'd like to give it a go. I'll, I'll just step into that. Nobody had an interview process. There was no vote. There was no test. There was no request for credentials. God sovereignly chose Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar and their sons to become the priesthood. They were chosen by God. And this points us to the first characteristic that we are priests and it is an elect privilege. That is the case for the believer. John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. We are elect of God. We are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And it's all of grace, dear friends. And it should thrill our hearts. Now, to emphasize this, let me tell you a little bit more about Aaron. He was part of the tribe of Levi, as were his sons. And Aaron's line were chosen to be the priests, and the other Levites would help them. 
Now, the background to the tribe of Levi is very significant. If you were to read through Genesis 49, Simeon and Levi are identified as being violent. They're angry. They're aggressive. They lamed other men's oxen, which cut off their ability to plow the fields and make a living and feed their families. And in fact, the tribe of Levi were cursed for their fierce anger and cruel wrath, and they were to be dispersed. And it's incredible that the Lord chose his priests from a tribe known for its violence and its sinfulness and under curse. He chose his priests from the, the weak and the sinful and the unlikely, the least respected. Do you see the parallel? What did Jesus say? I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And God is still choosing the same kind of people, still saving the same kind of people. And it is incredible tonight that if we are believers, that we, the weak, the condemned, the sinful, have been chosen and called out and delivered to be priests of the Most High God. It's amazing grace. Think of 1 Corinthians 1, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. God has chosen people like that. And he's still doing, he's still bringing that, that election to bear and saving people, not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to save. And all spiritual blessing and privilege is found in him alone, including being made a priest unto God. So that's the first thing. This is the great privilege. We are chosen by God. Elect of God under his grace. Then the second thing about this priesthood is that they were cleansed of sin. Before they could do their duties, they had to go through cleansing ceremonies and rituals. Now, if you flick over to Leviticus 8, which we started reading together, you'll see this there. And throughout this passage, you have this precise process for the preparation of the priests. And so maybe you'll follow through some of the verses. But I want to summarize the detail of what happened. And so there is this washing with water and clothing with garments, just as the Lord commanded. And then, as we read, you have the breastpiece, which included the, the Urim and the Thummim, means by which God's will would be revealed. And then you have the placing on of the turban and the, the golden plate at the front, all according to the Lord's commands. And then it goes on and says that the tabernacle and all its contents had to be anointed with oil, some of it seven times, the altar anointed, and all of the various parts to be consecrated. And then Aaron was anointed with oil. His sons were then brought near and clothed, all as the Lord commanded. And then there had to be a sin offering. And with Aaron and his sons, they had to lay their hands on the head of the bull. And once it was slaughtered as an atoning sacrifice, the blood was placed on the horns of the altar and at the base to consecrate it. 
And then some specific parts of the bull were burnt on the altar. The rest was burnt outside the camp, all as the Lord commanded. So this offering was as an atonement for the sins of Aaron and his sons. So they had to be washed, they had to be clothed, they had to be anointed, and now atoned for by blood. And then if you look at verse 18 of Leviticus 8, then there's the burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons would lay their hands on the head of a ram, and the ram was then slaughtered. Various parts were burnt on the altar or washed and burnt for a soothing aroma, again relating to a cleansing from sin. And then a second ram was offered, and this is called the ram of ordination. And again, Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head, and Moses then slaughtered the ram, and then this is really interesting took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and then on the big toe of the right foot. And then Moses took various parts of the ram with some of the 11 bread and placed them in Aaron's and his son's hands on their right thigh. And it was a consecration offering before the Lord. And before those things were then burnt on the altar. And then there's a final anointing with oil, sprinkling with blood, all to consecrate Aaron and his sons in their garments. Now that's just an overview, a summary. But it was so detailed, so involved. And each part had specific purpose and meaning. Washings, anointings, shedding of blood, offerings. And all of them say the same thing. To enter the priesthood. They needed to be cleansed. They needed to be washed. They needed to be forgiven from the ear to the toe. One commentator explains why the right ear? To sanctify the ear for the hearing of the word. Why the right thumb? To sanctify the hands for the work of God. Why the right toe? To sanctify the feet for the walk with God. Everything covered. The word, the work, the walk. Friends, as believers, we have been cleansed through the saving work of Jesus. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. He redeems us, he purifies us. Titus 3, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration. Believer, when you were saved, you were cleansed from your sin, you were washed, you were made new, and you were clothed in the new garments of righteousness. And in Christ, you have been made a priest with access to God. So, chosen, cleansed, and then clothed. Now, you don't have to turn back, but Exodus 28, 42 tells us that the priests had to wear special linen trousers undergarment which went from the waist to the thigh to cover that area which symbolized purity. And then in Leviticus 8, we're told that Aaron and his sons were dressed in a very specific way with a tunic, a belt, a robe, an ephod, bands that held the ephod, the breastpiece, the turban on the head, the golden plate, special garments. And they symbolized their unique calling. 
their unique calling to purity and identification with God as his servants. And so these priests were called to holiness, to separateness. Even in their appearance, all knew that they were set apart to the Lord. Now, it's interesting. In Psalm 132, it gives the spiritual significance of this. This is what it says. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. I will also clothe their priests with salvation. Now, what does this mean for the believer? It means you are a priest because you have been chosen by God, called to him in salvation. You're a priest because you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and, and washed. You are a priest because you are clothed with the very righteousness of Christ, the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness given to you, Christ's righteousness given over to your account so that you are accepted with God and you can come into his presence. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees the perfection of his son. 1 Corinthians 1.30, of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In the sight of God, we have become righteous in Christ, we are accepted. And so we can approach God, come into his presence. Also, we're told not only are we chosen, cleansed, and clothed, but we're anointed for service. Again, if you have Leviticus 8 open in front of you, verses 12 and 30 speak of this anointing of oil on the heads and garments of Aaron and his sons. And this is really setting them apart, the anointing symbolizing the power and the presence of God resting on these men as they serve him, symbolizing the enabling empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, in the new covenant in Christ, we are blessed beyond measure because we have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit. You think of 1 John 2 verse 20. You, speaking of believers, have an anointing from the Holy One. 1 John 2 verse 27. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you. The Spirit dwells in us. And all true believers have this wonderful privilege of the Holy Spirit enabling, empowering, dwelling within you know, the Bible tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Staggering to think of that. So the believer has been anointed by the Lord with the Holy Spirit, and he gives us the strength and the power to serve the Lord, to do as the Lord commanded, to serve him and to honor him. That's an amazing provision. You know, we've been saved and set aside and called apart, but God doesn't just then go, well, these are the things you need to do. Do it in your own strength. He gives us all that we need to live to his glory. The priests in the old covenant, they had a particular role. They could go where others could not go. They could do things that others could not do. They had special privilege and position and power because of God's hand upon them. Friends, as believers, we are set apart to the Lord by sovereign grace, blessed with spiritual privileges and position before him and that promise that he will give us what we need to serve him. We deserve nothing. 
And yet he has blessed us beyond measure. We are anointed for service. And we're also prepared for service. You know, as well as being empowered and anointed, the priests of the old covenant also had a time of preparation. It's interesting, after the choosing and the cleansing and the, the clothing and the anointing, if you look at verse 33 of Leviticus 8, it speaks of a period of seven days, which was called the period of ordination. And only after those seven days had passed were the priests able to come out of the tent of meeting and bless the people and the glory of the Lord came. Had a great impact. Now, what does that mean for you and I? Well, it teaches us that if we're in Christ, that all these things are present spiritually in the believer and that God has to prepare hearts in his service too. And there are times when we have to wait on the Lord. Times when we need that deep work done in our own hearts as he shapes us and, and readies us and readies our minds as we consider the seriousness of being about his work. And the Lord is ever at work to prepare our hearts. But it's particularly true for those who serve with responsibility and leadership. There must be a consideration of the seriousness of that and the privilege of that. But all believers are servants. And the Spirit of God works in the heart to bring awareness of the spiritual commitment that is needed in response to the Lord's call upon our lives. To walk worthy of that calling. And so the Spirit of God prepares the heart. And then also set apart for obedience. That is another element. If you turn over to Leviticus 10. You know, Leviticus 10, I think, is one of the most tragic passages in Scripture. You know, as we've seen, these priests, they've been called, they've been washed, they've been clothed, they've been anointed, they were prepared, and they're starting on their priestly ministry. And almost immediately, two of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, decide to go about their service in a way that the Lord did not command. And they offer strange fire, and then they are consumed by fire from the presence of the Lord in verses 1 and 2 of Leviticus 10. Can you imagine the whole assembly gathered, the whole assembly present, these newly ordained priests, they're now undertaking the responsibilities for the first time, and they are consumed. Why? Well, it was because they did not do as God had prescribed. They did not obey him. Verse 3, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. That's an incredible statement. You know, think of Aaron. Imagine the horror and the grief of losing his sons in that way. A father who had no doubt anticipated with joy the priestly ministry of his sons, but then they go against the Lord and disobey his commands and pay the price. And then you have Moses' response and the holiness of God. And Aaron holds his peace. Moses makes it clear. Those coming near to God, the priests, God must be regarded as holy. And so the priests were set apart to obey the Lord. And God underlines the seriousness of his holiness, the importance of obedience. 
Now, a very brief comment. What was the strange fire? Well, I'm not going to go into all of the suggestions, but the Hebrew word for strange is used elsewhere in Scripture for idolatry, immorality, and illegitimacy. So it's clear that the fire was far from what God had commanded and intended. The source was wrong. You see, God had made it clear that the fire should come from the brazen altar which never went out. These two priests decided they would do something very different. They brought a wrong offering. But the point is that they were destroyed and God made it clear to every priest that they were to obey him because he's holy. And friends, we must never forget that we have been given this privilege of being made priests unto God. We have the privilege of coming near to him, access to him. But we must not forget the one to whom we come. Not only that, but we have been set apart to holiness and obedience. And I need to ask myself and ask you, do we remind ourselves of that enough? 1 Peter 1, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. We are called to obey the Lord, called to pursue holiness. That is one of the responsibilities of being a priest unto the Lord. And then lastly, as we draw all this together, you know, we have been chosen, we have been cleansed, we have been clothed, and we have been anointed and set apart, all of these things. But lastly, we are also to have a high view of the Word of God. You know, if you were to just move over to Malachi chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, you can turn to it if you wish, but if not, I will uh, bring these things to you. It was a time of terrible apostasy in the land. And uh, in Malachi 2, Malachi is exposing and he is showing the way things should not be and he condemns. The priests that have become apostate have gone against God. And he does so by taking them and lining them up against God's standard. So he speaks about God's principles, God's standard, and then he highlights the apostasy of these priests. And in verses 1 to 2 of Malachi 2, he says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts. I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. So basically he's saying you are an apostate priesthood, you are heartless, you are far away from God's standard. And such was their apostasy that God said that he would rebuke their offerings and literally spread the, the dung from their feasts on their faces. Why? Malachi 2 verse 4. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi may continue. And the Lord goes all the way back to when he first ordained the priesthood and he said, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth. And injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. And the Lord says that the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge. Men should seek instruction from his mouth because he is God's messenger. But false priests 
What they were doing, they were turning aside from the way. They were causing many to stumble. They corrupted things, the priesthood. And so there's this great contrast between faithfulness and truth and error and apostasy. And God had ordained his servants, priests, to be faithful to the word of God. Do you remember in Exodus 32, Moses comes down from the mount after receiving the law on Sinai. And what does he find? He finds that the people have very quickly gone to worship in a golden calf. And if you remember, he comes down and he sees all this and it grieves him. And he then issues this challenge standing in the gate of the camp. And he says, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Whoever is for the Lord, come over to me. Now, who went? All the sons of Levi gathered together to Moses. And then they did as commanded, even though it meant killing the idolaters. But from the beginning, you see there is a taking of the command of God, the word of God seriously. They had a high view of the word. And that's what Malachi is saying. True priests revere the Lord, stand in awe of his name, are faithful to his word. And from the beginning, God designed those priests to be faithful. High view. And Malachi then goes on to say that because of that, the faithful priests walk with God. They point people away from sin. They're God's messengers. That is what we are to be, dear friends. That is the privilege that we have been given. Now, the perfection of all of this is the Lord Jesus. He is the true priest, the fulfillment. And yet it is in him, which is what we are, we are made priests with the spiritual characteristics that the old covenant could only ever point to. And as a believer, you have this incredible privilege tonight with access to a holy God. That is who you are in Christ. The world might cast you as many things and might have its own opinions of you, but this is who you are in Christ. And so do you understand the richness of what Peter is saying? The priest chosen of God, cleansed from sin, clothed and anointed for service, prepared and set apart, faithful to the word, high regard for God, walking with God, impacting sinners, messengers of God. That's who you are in Christ. You've been chosen. Rejoice in that. You've been cleansed from your sin by the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God sees you in the perfection of his Son. You are accepted. You are anointed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit who enables and empowers you to live to the glory of God, to serve the Lord. Everything that you need is given to you in Christ. You've been called to obedience. God has ordained that you should walk worthy. You have the privilege of understanding his word, of taking it seriously and applying it to your life. You're walking with God, and God uses you to impact those around you. You are his witnesses. It's a staggering privilege. All in Christ and all of grace. So when you go home later, and when you face tomorrow morning and you wake up with all of the ongoing reality of life and all the things that would drag you down, you remember who you are in Christ. You have been called out. You're in him. And I wonder if you live in the light of that. Realize the privileges that are yours. United with him, priest to God. 
with a true relationship with God, able to come near. I pray that you'd know it. Pray that it would do your heart good. And pray that you would see that that great privilege can never be taken away from you. Because he has saved you and he will keep you. And I pray that as a people we would look and indeed look to the word and walk worthy of what we have been called to. And that we would pray for one another and strengthen one another to live up to these things. And that we might be used of God to point others to this wonderful privilege and hope which is found only in the Saviour. May he help us, dear friends, those of you in Christ, priests of God. What a wonderful privilege. Amen.